unfortunately, most people look at ESG and they say, oh, that sounds good. Uh, they latch on to, you know, kind of these positive messages. Um, but uh, really, when you start peeling back the, the onion, you can see that this is completely counter to our free market system. This is not a good way to go. And this is completely counter to our, our uh, American system of meritocracy. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Alex Newman here, senior editor at The New American Magazine. We're, we're so blessed to have with us Marlo Oaks. He is uh, the state treasurer for the state of Utah. He was appointed by Governor Spencer Cox. And uh, he's got a, an incredible background in finance. Uh, he spent time uh, managing multi-billion dollar portfolios. Uh, he's been in banking, investment banking. Uh, he's done a lot. Uh, he's got a bachelor's in economics from Brigham Young and an MBA from uh, UCLA's Anderson School of Business. So he knows what he's talking about on these issues. And, and there are so many critical issues involving finance. Uh, we've had some people on here talking about some of these things. Uh, Riley Moore, uh, treasurer of West Virginia. But uh, Marlo's got some really interesting and unique takes. We also have some breaking news about natural asset companies. Uh, Marlo just shared with me before we went on air. Uh, Marlo, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for, for joining us today and for all that you have done to shine the light on these agendas. Uh, you just let me know that uh, the New York Stock Exchange has pulled this application for nat uh, natural asset-based companies. But let's start from the beginning. What are these NACs? Uh, why uh, are they pushing these? And, and what would be the threat to, say, private property, prosperity, free markets? Yeah, thank you, Alex, and and it's a pleasure to be with you. And and there's so many important uh, issues related to our economic freedoms, and and this is just the latest. Um, these natural asset companies, essentially, this is a a the idea is to have a publicly traded entity uh, that would raise money from investors around the world that could then go and manage ecological services on land around the United States. So it's not necessarily owning the land. It's, it's managing the land to, what I say, maximize mother nature. So uh, it's really kind of applying value to uh, processes that happen in nature that are critical for life. So photosynthesis, for example, what is the value of photosynthesis? And, and then uh, basically having a company manage land to maximize that value uh, is really what what the whole purpose of a natural asset company is. And the reason that they're, you know, even talking about this is because they're saying we need to end overconsumption and underinvestment in nature. And so that's, that's one of the underlying premises is that we are somehow overconsuming uh, nature and, and underinvesting in nature. It's a fascinating narrative. And so what, what if I understand this correctly, what they're saying is, you know, we, we don't want to be extracting resources that we can use to produce goods and services that will feed people, that will clothe people, that will heat people's homes. Instead, we want to find a way to make it profitable to allow that land to basically do nothing except sustain some lizards or some some gopher tortoises or whatever. Uh, so w what I still struggle to understand with is why would anybody want to invest in something like that? What is the the profit mechanism? How would you make money out of something like this? Who would be benefiting from this? Well, I, I think, um, you know, it's hard to, to know exactly, but uh, if, if we think about um, one of the pushes in corporate America is, is net zero climate emissions. 
So let's say you're an insurance company and you have an insurance investment portfolio and you're invested. Maybe you have some Chevron and, and ExxonMobil and, you know, other uh, sort of carbon uh, based companies in your investment portfolio. Uh, if, if, if that is somehow viewed as a liability, then one way to offset that liability is to have an asset in a natural asset company. And so this could be one way of offsetting a carbon footprint. Uh, and, and then secondly, and I think the more dangerous thing here is that we are opening up um, and, and going down the road of uh, placing value on things that don't have a value that are essentially public goods, what, what economists would call positive externalities. These are things that all of us uh, depend on for life itself. So clean air and, and um, you know, other things that happen in nature that we're all dependent on. As soon as you uh, assign ownership to those processes and somebody has to, has the ability to own those things, then they can start charging others for the use of them. And, and that, I believe, is a door that we do not want to open because it could represent suddenly uh, being charged for the air that we breathe. I mean, that's how crazy this gets. Yeah. And, and it sounds ridiculous. And yet they, they just put out a study recently talking about the dangers of human emissions of CO2 that come from our breathing. And so yeah. uh, you know, th these people come up with some interesting ideas. Um, before we get to the next topic, I do want to ask you uh, uh, how these natural asset companies and, and the broader idea here behind them fit in with these international things that we're hearing about. Of course, in 2015, the UN, all the member governments of the UN approved the uh, 2030 Agenda Sustainable Development Goals. You know, basically, uh, they call it the Master Plan for humanity. We're going to transform the world. You've got, of course, the Great Reset that Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum announced in the summer of 2020, the Build Back Better that we've heard Joe Biden talk about. Where do NACs and, and, and these carbon credits and all these things, how do they fit into that broader global agenda? Well, I, I think it's interesting to to listen to, you know, the the sort of the pretext of of why we need these natural asset companies. Again, it, it's it's uh, based on a, a crisis narrative that, you know, the climate crisis um, is an existential threat. Uh, we're now seeing biodiversity um, uh, being a narrative that the, that I think we're going to see more of. And that is, you know, this idea that uh, plants and animal life is threatened um, because of, of human impact on the earth. And so we've got to protect uh, the land from, from human um, habitation. Uh, it, it's really based on those two sort of crises narratives, uh, I'll say. Um, and, it, and it's clearly uh, part of the UN Sustainable Development Goals plays right into that, certainly uh, the, those Sustainable Development Goals and, and climate change is, is really kind of the main one. It's, it's the one that I think uh, supersedes all others because if you look at what's happening, for example, in Germany right now with, with the tractor and farmers and their tractors and the Netherlands before that, you know, there's a, there is a serious war on, on agriculture. These global agendas are, are definitely uh, getting more and more prominent and, and it's so interesting to see it manifesting in the United States like this. So Marlo, uh, obviously a lot of elected officials are now working on this. Uh, you and a, a good number of other treasurers are looking at this. I've spoken with several state AGs who are looking at some of these things and, and a lot of them are speaking out about natural asset companies. But what, what can average everyday, everyday Americans do on this front and, and kind of what are the next steps? What should we be prepared for to come uh, next? 
Well, it's it's interesting that the New York Stock Exchange um, pulled the rule, the the request for the rule from the SEC. I mean, that just that just happened, um, you know, just a few minutes ago. So uh, that to me says that that the public market component of this uh, may be dead, but um, because this is really part of sort of this 30 by 30 agenda, 30% of the land in the United States uh, and, and water resources will be uh, preserved uh, by 2030. Um, I don't think this agenda is going away. And so I, I really think the next step is to be on, on the lookout for uh, can this be done through private markets and, and you know, still to have the large institutional investors from around the world um, put money into a, a company that can that can go around the United States and lock up resources. I think that's that's going to be uh, where we have to focus next, and and really uh, thinking of ways to prevent the land from from being managed this way, preventing this new asset class from being created in the first place. That essentially the financialization of mother mother nature. Um, I, I think you know this is now on on people's radar, and and we need people to continue to get up to speed. Things like conservation leases are something that people should learn about. This is a way that uh, private, particularly farmers, uh, put their land in a conservation easement and essentially lose control of their private property. So uh, there's a lot of issues still at play here that, that people should become aware of. Self-reliance was a cornerstone used by our founders to build this great nation. It's important for us to stay independent of the woke structures in today's world. Get a copy of our latest collector's edition, Self-Reliance. Learn about the necessity of self-reliance for a free people and basic tips on how to get there. Never give up hope. Welcome back, Alex Newman here, Senior Editor at The New American Magazine. We're with Marlo Oaks, he's the Utah State Treasurer, and he has been very outspoken about a number of different issues. One of those is the the woke banking and finance, a kind of weaponization of finance to weaponize American businesses in favor of various agendas, environmentalism, uh, uh, various social agendas and things like this. Uh, he actually testified as, as a witness at the U.S. House Ways and Means Committee. They had a hearing on ensuring that woke doesn't leave Americans broke. Uh, protecting seniors and savers from ESG activism. Um, he also signed uh, an Advancing American Freedom Coalition lead, uh, letter to leaders of the U.S. House of Representatives asking that this uh, woke 401k rule from the Biden administration be repealed. Um, Marlo, uh, we've talked about this quite a bit uh, here at The New American, but I think a lot of people still don't quite understand the mechanics of this. Uh, how and why are these huge institutions like BlackRock with $10 trillion under management uh, pushing the, these woke agendas onto the American economy, onto American businesses, and ultimately onto American workers and consumers. Yeah, it, it is one of the more troubling um, things that I came across early early on as treasurer. Um, because if you think about our capital markets, uh, really our free, free enterprise system uh, helps to ensure our personal freedoms and constitutional liberties um, it's very analog analogous to the uh, to the um, uh, constitutional liberties that we enjoy, where we as individuals are sovereign uh, beings. And, and in the marketplace, we are the ones that uh, companies are trying to satisfy our demands. Uh, and and when we introduce uh, things that are uh, like a top-down agenda, like environmental, social, and governance, it really 
uh, ultimately destroys the free market system that we have. Um, I liken it to um, the the law in, in the in the legal system. You know, you have Lady Justice with her blindfold, and and decisions are to be made on the law and and strictly on the law, and that's how we ensure um, justice, equal justice across. Uh, across our system, when you pull the blindfold off, then you start introducing things like empathy and who is who's the oppressed and who's the oppressor. Uh, it, it corrupts the system. Uh, on the economic side, decisions in our businesses should be based on economic principles and economic principles alone. And as soon as you introduce an agenda that is something other than economic based, you corrupt the system. Um, and you destroy the economic freedoms that we have. And, and that's really what ESG uh, represents because uh, as, as was said early on when those first words were in print, it was a UN document back in June, 2004 uh, that it basically said only if all actors come together uh, can significant improvements be made in this field. When, when you have all actors, particularly in the financial services sector coming together that is not free market capitalism because then they have an agenda that is other than economic benefit to the to the system. And, and that's really what ESG represents. Yeah, and it does seem uh, very much like these natural asset companies that the pushback has taken its toll. Uh, we've seen now BlackRock and Larry Fink back away from this a little bit. We've seen a lot of the institutions getting kind of skittish about even talking about this in public. But uh, uh, do you suppose that this is dead and done? I mean, can Americans stop worrying about ESG now and, and the use of these huge uh, institutional investors and, and asset uh, companies like BlackRock to transform and and fundamentally rearrange kind of the companies and the way they operate, the way they um, do business? Well, you have to remember the 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 driving engine here. What What is driving ESG is the climate crisis. And that narrative continues. That is that has not gone anywhere. And if you look at, uh, you know, what is the what is the real agenda behind the climate crisis? It, it's not to address climate change necessarily. It, it, it's really to uh, change our economic system. Uh, and they've the said UN, that before, clearly. They, they've said it, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Christiana Figueroa is back in um, the head of the IPCC, the UN body that was respons is responsible for climate change and, and wrote the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, in Early in 2015, she said, this is the first time in the history of the world that we've intentionally tried to change the economic system that's been in place for the last 150 years. Yeah. Uh, the UN uh, commissioned a study back in 2018, and the headline from that was, uh, uh, we cannot uh, solve climate change with capitalism, something like that. Um, you, you know, clearly saying uh, capitalism is not up to the challenge of, of climate change. Well, capitalism has been the greatest system in the world in, in terms of innovation and finding solutions. And so what they're saying is the greatest system in the world is not up to it. Uh, we have to replace it with something. They don't ever tell you what that replacement is. But clearly, when you have a top-down uh, uh, system that is trying to take over, uh, you're going to have a few people in charge saying, here's what we all have to do, just like the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So that is a recipe for disaster, is a recipe for destruction of our economic system. And that's that's really what uh, ESG represents. Unfortunately, most people look at ESG and they say, oh, that sounds good. Uh, they latch on to, you know, kind of these positive messages. Uh, 
Um, but uh, really when you start peeling back the, the onion, you can see that this is completely counter to our free market system. And you know we're seeing today with DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, some very uh, scary things like airlines uh, hiring pilots based on demographics uh, in, instead of merit. Um, this is not uh, this is not a good way to go, and this is completely counter to our our uh, American system of meritocracy. Absolutely. And of course, a lot of the investors who invested in these ESG funds uh, suffered greatly financially as a result as uh, energy skyrocketed and a lot of the other uh, ESG compliant industries went down. Uh, Marla, we've, we've only got a few minutes left, but I do want to ask you about this. Of course, uh, Texas has been, uh, they actually built and, and are now operating a gold depository and they've got legislation. And I wrote a, an article about this pretty recently uh, about this effort to kind of make gold through this Texas gold depository, a transactional currency, a way for kind of people to do business with each other, maybe outside of Federal Reserve notes and the traditional system. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk about that in Utah. I spoke to uh, Ken Ivory. I know there's a lot of interest there. Um, what are your thoughts on this idea of setting up maybe a, a kind of a competitor, if you will, to uh, the, the existing system so that people can do business outside of the traditional channels? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, this whole uh, uh, whole of government approach uh, to address climate change and uh, and, you know, some of these existential threats. Um, th this administration has shown a willingness to go down the path of some pretty uh, scary um, things like uh, central bank digital currency. And so, you know, that I think represents um, the absolute end of economic freedom as we as we know it and, and other freedoms. I mean, that is that's like uh, that that's the worst possible outcome. And so. Um, I do think that that uh, we need to look at alternatives like um, uh, like being able to transact in in gold and silver and you know are there ways to do that 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 uh, make it so you're not carrying gold bars around and shaving off parts of that bar right at, at a store. Um, there's technology now that that makes it uh, much more doable to transact in in uh, gold, for example, and so. Uh, I, I think it's wise for states to really um, start looking at that and, and collectively potentially uh, figuring out ways that that we can um, offer our citizen, citizenry an alternative to uh, the central bank and, and any digital currency that they may uh, try to, to uh, introduce. Yeah. And, and folks out there listening, you maybe haven't heard about CBDCs. We've talked about them a lot on this program, but Joe Biden's got an executive order on the books uh, signed a couple of years ago about the desire to build a CBDC that would advance racial equity and environmental priorities. So this stuff is all on the books. You're just not hearing about it much from the media. These are real issues. Uh, Marlo, we're down to less than two minutes, but uh, in, in the final little segment that we have here, what are some thoughts that you have for everyday Americans out there who are concerned about these issues, they want to do something useful, they don't quite know what to do, you know, voting is not enough. Uh, what advice would you have for them for how to protect their families, how to protect liberty, how to get involved in these uh, very, very serious fights? Well, I, I think it's important for people to educate themselves and and, and educate others uh, and and talk to uh, their local legislators and, and uh, you know, figure out um, things that, that can be done locally. That's certainly a, one of the key features that we have in the United States that, that Europeans unfortunately don't have is the sovereignty of the states. 
Uh, and, and so there's a lot that can be done locally. And there's a lot, frankly, that is trying to be done locally that is potentially detrimental. So we hear about these grand things like CBDC. Well, it would, it would behoove people to uh, figure out what's happening locally and help their legislators protect, uh, protect them from bad legislation that, that continues to put in uh, things that, that can harm their sovereignty and, and harm their ability to transact in the future. So I think education's a, a critical part in engaging with those who have the ability to uh, work in the, in the legislatures. Couldn't agree with you more. In fact, here in my home state of Florida, we've already got uh, on the books a law banning CBDCs in our state, folks. So you can make a difference. We're all out of time for today, but I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Marlo Oaks, state treasurer for Utah. Thank you so much for joining us, folks. Until next time, really appreciate you and God bless you all. Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Biodigital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep, and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past and endgame. The new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's issue of The New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, E-N-D-2-0.